man. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Give and Go. Yes, this is a new, completely new setup. Not yeah. intentional. Our producer is actually missing out this episode. Producer he's, uh, Rudd. He's out on a trip, and so we had to make ends meet in a different way. And so this is what we're doing visually. If you're listening to us on Spotify, though, it's going to be the exact the exact same way. Nothing is different. Don't yeah. you worry. Yeah, don't Just don't worry. visually, you know, we're going to get some different looking TikToks this time around, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Shout out our producer, Rudd. What an impact that guy makes. Yeah, no, absolutely. But man, we got a lot, a lot to catch up on, a lot to talk about, man. It's, yeah. it's the month of finals. Yeah, it's the final month of just soccer in general at the club level. Yeah, yeah. yeah just all these tournaments are finally culminating onto the biggest stage yeah. and uh, it's really exciting, man, because this, this path is just taking so long since since what back in august slash uh september yeah, yeah to yeah, finally yeah. be at this point feel, feels really good and rewarding and so we gotta dissect each one of these final matchups and the teams participating in them but first we got to talk about some breaking news that got reported just a few hours ago erling holland has been reported by fabrizio romano yeah to be set to join Man City. It is official that he is going to go join the team. Pep has got his striker now. Yeah, that's the biggest point, right? Yeah. I think that's the biggest point. For years, it has been a question of who was going to ultimately replace the number nine role that Sergio Aguero filled for so long. A true number nine, right? They got Gabriel Jesus when he was like 20, 21 years old from Palmeiras. And obviously, Jesus is a top-class oh, yeah. striker. Yeah. Uh, even though he doesn't score like as much as he probably should, he's very, very good. He deserves to be uh, at the level he is at with Manchester City. But in my opinion, he's fallen a little short from what he should have reached at this point in his career. I think his potential when Man City bought him uh, was very, very high. But he, for me, he hasn't quite hit it. So there's been talks of Harry Kane coming to Manchester City last year when Kane was like, you know, should I leave Tottenham? That didn't culminate into anything. And so now here we are with Erling Holland coming to Manchester City. Yeah. And for me, I, I asked the question, how much of a real impact can he have? Because Man City has achieved some heights that have, are almost unprecedented. You know, yeah. the fact that they're about to win the league, only having lost two games. Right. Does bringing in a striker really improve that? Something that can, like, how much more can he improve in that sense? Uh, Champions League wise, they were inches away from a final as yeah. well. So I'm interested to see how, yes, it's a role that Pep has needed, fulfilled, but he's managed to make ends this whole time without it. I, I just wonder how much of an impact can Erling Holland truly have? And in that sense, does this ultimately give Pep zero excuse to not win a Champions League next season? That's, that's the thing. That's actually my point is, sure, Holland's not going to actually increase the trophy cabinet that much more because City already amassed so many trophies mm. year in, year out. But what he is going to do now is give them reason to now finally win the Champions League because when Manchester City have really needed goals in these latter stages of the tournament, quarterfinals, semifinals, we've had so many players just fluff their chances. You know, a big one, Raheem Sterling during the COVID yeah. days. Um, wasn't there another miss like in, in this last one with Madrid? Yeah, uh, Jack Grealish. Grealish, Grealish Jack yeah. Grealish. When Pep really, really needed one guy to just score, didn't happen. But now you have a guy who literally only scores, right? <laughs> That's all yeah. he does. Yeah. And he's really, really yeah. good at it. So now, no excuses. Yeah, it's they are now the full, complete team. Yes, he was missing. He wasn't missing goals, but he was missing a guy that you can rely on to score every time. So now that he has that, man, 
Manchester City have to win the they Champions have to. League. They have, they to. have to. There's no excuses anymore. But I think the thing is, is that it they'll be looking good to actually win it now because now they have that ruthlessness in front of goal, not just coming from like talented midfielders yeah. or wide from like Mares, for example. Right. Yeah. Now they truly have a guy down the middle, a target to aim for, good in the air, big, can turn, can go at pace, and obviously can shoot. Dude, and yeah, and like, how does that impact the rest of the team now? Because this season, everyone had some sort of responsibility to score. Mm-hmm. Bernardo Silva, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, yeah. Riyad Mahrez, like Gundogan at some Gundogan point at, this yeah, season, man. Sterling, like they just had because they didn't have that striker in that position, they all had a bigger responsibility. Yeah. But now that that's shifting. Now the responsibility is to feed the goddamn robotic monster yeah, yeah. that is at the center of the pitch, just waiting to bang in goals in yeah. any way, shape, or form. And so. Pep has, in a way, completed his his dream team, yeah. and it's up to him to close that out because if not, then he's going to have his his critics full throttle yeah. if he doesn't complete it this time around. Oh, yeah. The biggest final this month has to be the UEFA Champions League between yeah. Liverpool and Real Madrid. Liverpool coming off of a victory against Villarreal in the semifinals where they ultimately pounced and took over a squad that just didn't have enough. Yeah. Yeah. And Real Madrid coming off of miracle, an incredible um, comeback victory against Man City. Also coming off of the back of another awesome, awesome comeback against PSG. Yeah. Against um, Chelsea. Against Chelsea. Yeah. And formulating what many people are calling the yeah. ultimate. The greatest run of Greatest all run time. of all time. Yeah, yeah. Which I would, I'm going to actually go ahead and say maybe not if you look at Atletico's 2016 run. Epa. That was, in my opinion, they a that lot year? harder. Okay. They had PSV at the time who were really, like, they were on top of it offensively. Okay. Uh, that was under, like, uh, Martin Koku's, Coco, Coco, Philippe Koku was his name. He had a really good project going on at PSV okay. that year, and they were okay. offensive as hell. Atletico were able to keep them nil-nil, and they had to win on penalties to get through. Right. Then after that, they beat Barca, Bayern Munich, and then obviously they played Real Madrid. Took him to penalties. Didn't work out. But, hey, it was a really, really difficult run. And for this one, I I, I think it rivals that of Madrid. Obviously, people are going to say that. I think it's better. I think this is better. Because at the very least, because still during Atletico's run, they were favored to win at least one matchup. Real Madrid hasn't been favored to win any of these matchups. They haven't. Like, odds-wise, Vegas-wise, Vegas uh, they favored. I'm sure they favored Atleti over, over PSV for sure. Absolutely. Based off of that, maybe. But Atletico was, was only favored against PSV. The rest That's of the, those games, they were not favored. The run it truly is captivating, though, because when you think about it ultimately, it's just like, it's Madrid. It just makes sense. Yeah. When every, every single game in those second legs where it just worked out for them, I was like, damn, like, I honestly, I think only Madrid can do something yeah. like this yeah. in one big run. Um, they, I, I heard the word mentality tossed around a lot after that Madrid City game. And it's so true, though. The last 20 minutes, Madrid slowly just took control of the game. And they said, look, we don't have a good chance here. We need two goals just to tie it. Uh, but we're Madrid, so we're just going to go for it. But it, it sounds so simple. But almost no club in the world actually does it or even comes close to pulling it off. But Madrid, year in, year out, have games where they just find some, find some sort of magic, truly magic, and it just works out for them. Obviously, they have world-class players where 
this really helps them shine, right? Dani Carvajal with a perfect cross oh, to Rodrigo. Dude, a peach and, then, and then even talk about Rodrigo coming off the bench, scoring two goals. It's insane to have that type of player who just comes on, says, fuck it, I'm going to score. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to score in a semifinal, and it's going to be easy for me. Wasn't even nervous coming onto the pitch and making a huge impact. Yeah. Think about any other player in any other club there's going to be nerves, man, but Rodrigo's so cold. He's so cool. Yeah. He's so collected, just like every other player who plays for Madrid. Mm-hmm. Madrid, Benzema, Carvajal's already stated. Ramos, when he was there, right? There's so many just world-class players that come to Madrid, but they all share that same winning mentality that says, like, look, we do not care who we're playing. Even if we lose, we do not care. We're just gonna we're gonna outdo you, and they almost yeah. always do. Yeah, and I, I feel like what we're seeing with this Real Madrid team is the the uh, results of a squad that did in fact win three back to back to back Champions Leagues, which is a rare feat. Yeah, what we're seeing now is players that went through that experience and now just show no fear, show no like Dude, no nervousness or anything. Yeah. Imagine someone who went to war three times yeah. and came out alive every single time. <laughs> That next war, he's going to be a goddamn monster, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that, I think we're seeing that. I think that's why it's so, like, unprecedented what they're doing because it's it's so gritty and it's such a winner's mentality that they've been showing. Yeah. And beyond what is at the technical level for, level for this team, the biggest thing that does scare me as someone who does support Liverpool going into this final is not the technical factor, but the the mental factor, the emotional and momentum factor yeah. that is behind this Real Madrid team. That's really scary to face against because it only comes down to one game now. No longer two legs, no longer 180 minutes to, to formulate a comeback. It's just 90 minutes. Can you win this game or not? Can you yeah. just come out on top and beat this other side? It's scary, man. It really is. But the thing is, that's why I actually have Liverpool as my favorites here, dude. I like, like by a good margin too. I think Liverpool are by far the better team, and Madrid have needed 180 minutes to win Absolutely. their game. Absolutely. In every single knockout game, they've needed the 180. Liverpool have pretty much in every in every scenario they've been in this uh, this season in Champions League, they've only ever needed 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they concede goals, but it's over the course of 180. In an encapsulated 90 minutes, Liverpool are so, so dominant. And I, I honestly could see the same thing happening here against Madrid where, look, Liverpool obviously want revenge, specifically Mo Salah, man. He's just going to go off. I, I really do think so. He has so much to play for in this game yeah, just on yeah, a personal a lot, level. A lot, man. But not only him, that entire Liverpool squad has so much to play for here. It's, and it's, it is great that it is against Madrid because – um, I mean, Madrid have been for 90 minutes out of the 180 in their last games, the clearly inferior side, right? Liverpool have been so, so dominant this season, man. If they could just pull together another classic, ruthless Liverpool performance, it's it's over for Madrid. Yeah, it's over. I, do, I, I do see if they activate that and if they just can get into that flow, which is what's crazy about this Liverpool squad versus the one that faced Real Madrid in the final few years back yeah. is that that team had a tougher time getting into that gear, whereas now it's second nature to the, oh, this team. Man, the the yeah. amount of games they played leading up to this point, like I've noticed that basically in every single game, they will kick into that gear at some point where they just take over, where they just dominate, pin you back, and just yeah. essentially until a goal happens. But you also have to take in, I feel like, being that Real Madrid did pull off these, these incredible comebacks, you got to point out the fact that they did all these comebacks when they played at home. In every single leg, 
PSG, Chelsea, and uh, Man City. Yeah. Real Madrid at home is a different is a True. different team. Now we're gonna be in Paris, over by the baguettes, by the by the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower, city of love. City of love, man. And it's gonna be a different story, I think. I predict Liverpool wins this matchup. Yeah. I don't know if uh, by a lot. I think it'll be a lot tighter than you think. But I see Liverpool lifting that trophy. Real Madrid sort of, in a way, running out of gas, running out of luck in, in, that, in that sense. I see Liverpool coming out on top and Real Madrid ultimately going home. Yeah. But being proud of what they managed to do because I did not have them in a final before the tournament started. No, 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 no. I, I don't know if any – like, truly, uh, truly, uh, I don't know if anybody did. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say, though, as far as the matchup's concerned – I think Ancelotti needs to start Rodrigo. I thought he mm. screwed up by not playing him in that city a semifinal. But in every game he's played in, especially in the last two months, whether it's Champions League, La Liga, dude, he's making Liga. such a huge impact offensively, man. Um, and it's nothing as Valverde. I think Valverde is just better. It's more central, more deeper. Put a straight offensive guy like Rodrigo up there. And uh, him, Benzema, you're, and v Vinicius Vinny. Jr. Yeah. Up, up top, man, that's a deadly front three. Liverpool w would hate to face yeah, that. That's what I'm thinking. That's the thing. That, they, that they would, would they would prefer Valverde start up yeah. top, right? But I, Ancelotti needs to be a little bit more daring here in these 90 minutes, man. Or it's just going to be too easy for Liverpool, in my opinion, especially when they have such a such a stout defense with Van Dijk leading that. Reversely, I think that Liverpool has to start Konate instead of uh, Matip, which is also oh, like yeah. a big discussion because Matip is more experienced. But I think that, that Real Madrid offense has a lot of speed to him, yeah. a lot of speed and flair that Conate being younger, being faster, I think will keep up with them better than the Matip. So I think that's also like an interesting decision we'll, we'll have to see from Jurgen if he does end up going for experience or athleticism. Diaz or Jota? Diaz. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think right now it's pretty clear it's, it's Diaz. It's pretty clear, yeah, man. Yeah. But isn't that crazy that like all of a sudden Liverpool are just getting <laughs> – Pretty much any player they want when it comes to like market, like yeah, that that that's actually kind of rare for a Liverpool team. Like to to get obviously they don't get like the big 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 stars. Yeah, yeah. But when they want like a mid to upper tier player, they just they get them now. Yeah, like, yeah, pretty yeah. Pretty easily, yeah. like yeah. very very easily. They got Mina, Mino, Jota, and now Luis Diaz. Just yeah. just like yeah. that. Yeah, that like and, and Tiago too, like that yeah, thirty, Thiago, that thirty yeah. to forty mil range type of yes. player. If they want him and if it's their system, they'll get they'll him like get no him. problem. You too, no like problem. you really see like Liverpool like contest with another club mm -mm. for like a certain player. Yeah, 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 I think I had heard that Tottenham. Yeah, and they got Konate. They, yeah, and they, they got Konate. Like, yeah, a, a yeah. highly rated center back from Leipzig. They got him easy. Yeah, they're getting a lot of their players now, pretty pretty easy. And it's that Klopp dynasty, man. It's gotta be. He it's really has be, built. Like an in, an incredible infrastructure there. It's oh yeah, it's like so impressive. It's it's a one hell of a club to sell to someone who isn't playing for you. Like yeah. you just showed you just showed Luis Diaz who's at Porto like yeah. highlights of, of <laughs> Anfield, or you just give him an hour there to just explore the field and see what a game is like there. Like yeah. I think there's so much that is intriguing about Anfield and Liverpool to a to an outsider right now. Yeah. This matchup is going to be incredible. Regardless, I'm really excited for this one. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be so fun. You know, but what, what's so interesting, though, and this kind of goes back to, like, let's go back to, like, mid-2015, mid-2010s, right? That was a great time for Champions League. Great time for Champions League. Um, And I always remembered, see, obviously, Madrid were all, always going to reach the semifinals. They're always going to go deep into it. And there were so many times, especially, like, between 2012 and 2015, where... Barcelona and Madrid just could not meet in the final. Yeah. They just couldn't. But there were so many times 
where I was like, damn, Madrid actually fear Barca more than they fear, for example, like a Juventus. Or more, more so than they fear like a, a German team or an English team, especially at that time. Barcelona was Madrid's kryptonite. Yeah. And Barcelona just could not make it to the final to actually hurt Madrid. So we never got that crazy El Clasico matchup. And I kind of got a similar sense this year yeah. when City just could not make it. Because in my opinion, in my opinion... I think City match up better against Liverpool. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think, think if you're if you're Klopp, you, you know, Liverpool just from fan, a yeah. footballing perspective, you would be more scared of Pep Guardiola's Man City than you are of Ancelotti's Madrid, by absolutely. far. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, and I know every Liverpool fan was rooting for Real Madrid in that semifinal because okay. on the yeah. off chance that they would win. Yeah, because Man City just—it's not that they have our like Liverpool's number, but man, the matchups, the the. The nervousness I feel when I yeah, watch those dude, games, yeah, yeah. It, it, they could easily just take over a Liverpool side and, right. and almost be their kryptonite in that sense. But isn't that kind of crazy, man, how in sports that – like this kind of affirmed it for me. The fact that this whole season it was clear that in world football the top two teams are Liverpool and Man City. Yeah. Like that, that's been clear the whole time out. Right, right. And – during that time, too, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, like those were the top, two, top teams two teams top in the world teams. for like three, four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet they could not <laughs> make it to that final to <laughs> meet could. up and just give us that ultimate epic matchup that yeah. we've always dreamed of getting. Yeah. Instead, it's always like, you know, the number one team or the number two team facing off against a team that just is on a run. This even transcends other sports, like how a lot of people always wanted to see LeBron face off against Kobe. Right. And it just never, just happened, never happened, despite both of them dominating the NBA landscape for like 10 years. Yeah. So it's just... It's weird, man. I'm, I'm from now on going in, going into Champions League. I'm gonna just not expect that or root for that because, man, I just get my hopes ruined, man. Dude, this whole time I was looking bro. forward to that Liverpool Man City uh, matchup I in was Paris, looking forward to it, like bro. the ultimate yeah. showdown, yeah. and we just we're not gonna we're get not it. gonna get it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a yeah. crazy point. And I guess the beauty of the sport, beauty, yeah, always, yeah. always, <laughs> always. With the final chapter closing in Champions League, I want to come over to North America where the chapter has been finished, where the book has been closed. Yeah. A record-breaking conclusion with the first MLS side to ever win the tournament. Seattle Sounders soundly defeated <laughs> Pumas 3-0 in the second leg to finish off 5-2 on aggregate. Yeah. The uh, implications of this could be huge. We've been saying on this pod for a while now that that MLS is on the come up or that, you know, MLS is at the very least doing things differently now that is in a very positive way. Oh, yeah. And we've just been trying to get people to see that. At the very least that. Uh, For me personally, my whole argument has just been like, you know, MLS is definitely not what it's stereotyped to be anymore. No. So let's get rid of that stereotype. Let's just get rid of it. It, it Honestly, it's not even funny anymore because yeah. it's, it's so blatantly false. Yeah. It's so... The, the the stereotype of MLS now... At one point, sure, oh, there was dude, some truth was. in it. Yeah, yeah. But now, that stereotype is false. Mm-hmm. So it's just not even funny. And so we've been, man, we've been battling with TikTok comments, with, with, uh, with YouTube comments, with a lot of people about where does MLS stand in the scope of CONCACAF? Yeah. And this result, man, this result is big. This result is big so for, for that big, debate. Man. How did you I, take that that victory? I was so, so happy. First off, when, when, once I saw that the Seattle Sounders had made it to the CONCACAF Champions League final, I knew this was it. I knew it. Not from like a, not even from a footballing perspective, 
but solely from like a cultural MLS league perspective. Because for decades now, even before the MLS, Seattle has been the cultural hub of club soccer in this country. Yeah. So it was pure poetry, pure poetry that, that, that Seattle had the chance to not only become the first MLS team to lift this trophy in the Concord Champions League era, but to actually do it. Pure poetry. And it was also funny because there was a stat that said the last Mexican team to lose a Champions League final, it was against a Costa Rican yeah, team, was Pumas. Was Pumas. Was Pumas, yeah. So funny. They're having a tough week now, especially with Pumas losing against my Chivas. <laughs> Let's go, baby, for one. Yeah, man. Beautiful stuff. Overall, though, the, the final itself was actually really nicely poised because both teams honestly aren't having that great of a season. They're not doing poorly in their respective leagues, yeah. but they're also not doing like mm -hmm. very, very well. Mm -hmm. I'd say right now they're both honestly mid-table teams in their respective leagues, right? Yeah. Se Seattle may be a little bit better, but they're still right now not firing on all cylinders. Same with Pumas. They, I mean, they're in the repechaje as what, the 12th seed? Yeah. So yeah, like both teams were nicely poised because one team wasn't just completely more dominant than the other, at least uh, result-wise. So it was kind of nice. Like you could say, oh, well, Pumas not the best Mex Mexican team. Seattle's not the best MLS, not even close to the best MLS team right now. So I thought the matchup was perfect, honestly. And we saw who won. It was an MLS side. Mm -hmm. The game itself, though, was so fun to watch because it really was even, not only on paper, but on the pitch, at least for a large portion of the two uh, this two-legged affair, right? That first game in Mexico was honestly kind of scary from a Seattle perspective because there was a point where I was like, God they damn it. They almost lost their they, grip they, on they the They almost game. lost it there. Yeah. Like, it would have been really tough to go down 3-0 and then have to take that result back to Seattle. It still could have been done because that Seattle crowd was incredible. Record-breaking. Record-breaking. But to not only get a goal back but to tie it, huge. It shows how good Seattle is. They almost have that, let's just say, that Madrid type of winning mentality, but they always have. That's why they're that's why they're the most cultured team in the MLS because they have that mentality of winning, and um, they really showed it in this final. Yeah, they were clinical this time around. They uh, were able to get that goal before the half to really change the tide. And after halftime, Seattle just took over, and it was it was rare to see a Pumas opportunity in that game. Man, they oh, they got yeah. completely just just bunked in and just taken advantage of. Bro. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. That, dude, yeah. Pumas in that second leg, bro, not good. Not good. Not nah. good, then, bro. They could not figure it out. No, nah, they couldn't. They, they really couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Um, <laughs> Dineno got, like, two touches the entire game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had players getting shot down across the field, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. five injuries throughout the whole game. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it is it is cool that that it's, it is Seattle that does it because, like you said, they are the most cultured team. I, I They, like, have that that brand attached to them now that they are like the MLS squad. Yeah. And this is like almost like popularity and like, dude, since the early days of MLS, they've yes. always been around, man. They were like the first team to like have a, a notable crowd that really like was a part of the team itself. Kind of like how just oh, Anfield yeah. is associated with Liverpool. Yeah. It's always been known that like Seattle specifically has a awesome crowd right, and atmosphere. Yeah. And so it's very fitting that they managed to do this. Congrats to any Seattle Sounder fans who watch oh, us. Congratulations, because you know, as as any American fan that you know watching the sport was all a Seattle Sounder fan on that yeah. night, man. And dude, they won in style, bro. Yeah, yeah. Once that second goal went, everyone's just you know having a fucking party, yeah, man. No. And that third goal, beautiful, bro. Yeah. Really, really nice goals. Really, yeah. Really and nice. and now what really what really has got me thinking since the, the matchup ended is that there's like. Basically, two sides to how people are taking this result. 
one side is that MLS is here. MLS has arrived. But not only that, MLS is now set to dominate CONCACAF Champions League and that there is a, an idea and vision for these type of people who believe in this ideology <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that can see MLS just starting to shift the tide in that sense, winning the next you know three out of the next five, yeah. winning the majority. Whereas others are like, look, they won. MLS got their moment. But let's not forget, Liga MX has dominated this this landscape for yeah. 15 plus years. Right, right. And uh, come back next year and we'll probably win it again. Where do you stand on like, what does this mean going forward? Or is this more so about just reminding people and letting people know that, hey, MLS isn't as bad as you think, but there's still that chance that Liga MX will continue to dominate or at least win the majority of the next five yeah. Champions League results. Yeah, my take. Yeah, okay, yeah, good, good. Good question. Overall, my take is the MLS is not the better league. I'm not going to go ahead and predict that the MLS goes on to win the next three out of five or anything, although they could, because mm -hmm. that's my ultimate point. The gap between Liga MX and MLS is very, very marginal. It's small. The best teams in the MLS can take on the best teams in Liga MX. It's head-to-head, -head, it's tight, and there's class on both sides. Now that the MLS has finally broken that barrier of winning it, I just kind of see it trading. Yeah. Leo Max wins two. MLS wins one. Leo Max wins one. MLS wins three. Leo Max wins two. It's just going to go back and forth now because I really do see both leagues as very, very even, especially when it comes to the best teams in each league. I think it just goes toe-to-toe, uh, -to -toe and they're just going to just trade punches. Yeah, and in a way, I think that's good for the region. Like, I think that's good for CONCACAF because yeah. now that means that we'll be able to send – a more assured, better squad out to the Club World Cup to represent the continent. Like, imagine now, whereas before it was like, basically, who's the best Liga MX squad? Now it's, who's the, who's the best between these in two the leagues yeah, yeah. that can better, hopefully better perform in a Club World Cup and maybe one day perform something that is unimaginable, like, right, like winning, you know, it. winning it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I see, so ultimately, I, I think this has good implications, but let's not forget there is a rivalry between just U.S. and Mexico and anything related to the, those two countries when it comes yeah. to this sport. So I don't know. I'm excited to see the duels that are going to happen from here on out yeah. because now it's, it's like, okay, they finally arrived. Our opponents are finally here. We've been waiting at the bus stop. And they're they're finally here, man. They're here, man. Let's do this thing. Let's they're let's fucking here. compete. Yeah. And let's let's use this like competition to help better each league and and the quality of of, of each squad as well. Absolutely. All right, guys. We're gonna take a minute to uh, take a break and give a shout out to our sponsors. That's BetUS. You heard it, BetUS. It's an online sports gambling website where you can make so many different types types of bets. With all these finals coming up, I mean, I think it's a great thing to. Uh, Get into these matches, even if your team isn't involved. Yeah. You're not a Real Madrid fan. You're not a Liverpool fan. Put a bet. Put a bet in, and suddenly you will become a Liverpool fan or a Real Madrid fan. Man. <laughs> Absolutely, like, it's crazy, man. Absolutely. man. Your adrenaline's gonna be peaking. <laughs> and what's awesome is that, like, they, they got a bunch of deals right now. Where, like, yeah. especially if you haven't used their site, you can basically make a good number of bets for free because they will double your your deposit. They have a 125% sign-up bonus right now. The deals are just ridiculous. They really want to bring in people to just be part of this betting community. 
and I think it's great. The interface is great. The whole way it's oh, set yeah. up, I'm like, man, like, I'm, I wish I knew about this earlier. So, <laughs> yeah. so I could have been making bets and everything and cashing oh, out on yeah. my predictions. Oh, yeah. So yeah, guys, if you want to give it a shot and you want to join this betting community, if you want to join BetUS, you can do it while using our promo code GIVEINGO. That's right, exactly like how it's spelled on our channel. Give, letter N, go. And you can just support the channel, man. Yeah. You know, we were just getting started off and we're doing this solely by our own volition. And any type of support is appreciated and you can show Absolutely. it by uh, by signing up for BetUS. So once again, guys, thanks so much and uh, good luck betting. So next tournament that we have up is the Europa League final between Frankfurt and Rangers. And personally, what I love about this matchup is the fact that in the past like 10 years, I feel like it's been pretty common to have yeah. A team in the final that's from like one of the top three team leagues in the in the world. Oh yeah. You know, you usually get like your um, like Chelsea, who like disappointed the Champions League, but then just took care of business in Europa League and found themselves in the final. Sevilla from uh, La Liga. Yeah. Man United was there at one point. Yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool at one point. Um, this feels like the first time, or at least in recent memory, that we have a team that isn't from those leagues. We've got a German side that's in tenth place right now. Uh, facing off against a Scottish side. Yeah. Which, to even just say that, it's pretty crazy, man. It's very crazy. Honestly, so ever since Gerard started coaching there, obviously he's not the coach there anymore, but he started coaching there a couple years ago, and they started getting into the knockout stages of the Europa League. And I was like, huh. I was yeah. like, that's interesting. Because I, I, I don't rate the Scottish League whatsoever. <laughs> no matter how good Celtic and Rangers are, yeah, yeah. I don't rate it. Right. So I don't think they've given you any reason to. Yeah, man. that's like, the thing. Outside of like there's locally, no disrespect. Yeah, outside the, of locally, you just wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, sure. Or the fact that they, they did a breed uh, Van Dyke. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Right. But for me to even think that they could get even close to like a quarterfinal, even the Europa League, even okay. in yeah, the Europa yeah, League, yeah. where you still have good quality in mid-tier English, Spanish, German, Italian yeah. teams, for them to actually make a final, so impressive, so impressive. But again, it, they've been, they've low-key been foreshadowing this for the last like four years. Every year they've been getting slightly closer. You know, there's a reason that it's also Rangers and not Celtic because Gerard was like the first manager that like yes. won the title with Rangers after like a long spell of Celtic winning it yes. in the Scottish League. And like even went like on an unbeaten streak or something like that. Like he broke, he broke shit ton of records over there. Yeah. Um so yeah, it has been foreshadowed in a sense. And it is telling that it's Rangers that are here and not Celtic. So it if we is. have any Celtic fans, right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because you look you look at that table for the last like decade, and it really oh, was all, Celtic yeah. for so so long. Rangers were the second division, I think, not too long ago. So yeah, for them to actually be the Scottish team to make a final, my God, honestly, European the, the scene, final, bro. The scenes are gonna be insane. They've bro. already been insane, dude. Like the yeah. the fucking drone shot that they have at oh, their stadium is, is ridiculous. Oh, I love bro. I love their. You know stadium, what I'm talking bro. about? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like upper deck, they just like a fucking seagull just flies through the crowd. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. But but equally as passionate, man. These Frankfurt fans, man. My yeah. God. Yeah. And they're they're just as grateful and honored to be a part of this final themselves. But the thing is, just like Rangers, completely deserve to be here. Similarly to Madrid, Frankfurt is on a on a run of their own where they're taking down giants. Yeah. Maybe not in how they're playing right now. For example, Barcelona, not the best team in the world right now, but to still that's beat them. a name, man. Yeah. That is a name. And to beat them the way they did too. Yeah. Whew. And then you look at West Ham 
another strong English side, been yes. on the come up for a long time, took care of business. Yeah. Just took care of business. Yeah. That second leg game, they were by far the better team. Aaron Cresswell fucked his team up, man. <laughs> Two red cards back to back games, bro. Who does that? Yeah, that's tough. Aaron. But that's huge, man. That's that's an awesome thing to be a part of. And you can tell that these Frankfurt fans are that they, they, they're they're appreciative and aware of the opportunity at hand with them being able to take down those big teams and now being set up to potentially be European Cup winners. Yeah, and just personally, yeah, I've been watching Frankfurt for a while now because I've always I've always respected how they approach the game. Very offensive and honestly with it's a so decent offensive. amount of flair. Yeah. Just the players that they get May not be the best, but I like I just like the way that they play. Yeah, and I remember they got players like I remember when Marco Fabian <laughs> was there for a little bit. Oh, they got the Croatian coach too, and he yeah. he was in charge for a while too. And so Andre Silva was there at mm-hmm. one point. So I've always loved the type of players that Frankfurt attracts. Yeah, but but dogs. All that being said, you know they've never really been able to use it towards anything. They always have good runs in the Bundesliga. Maybe they get kind of close to a Champions League spot, right? Obviously, they got are good enough to be in a Europa League spot, so mid to upper mid table. But it's never culminated in anything close, Whoa, yeah. anything close yeah. to as big as this. So I'm actually I'm I'm stoked that they've actually been able to yeah. make it so far in this tournament because. I just love it when teams, especially mid-table teams, because, you know, like, oh, they're, yeah. they're never going to really achieve anything. But when one team gets close to doing it, it's so awesome. I'm so happy that Frankfurt is here, but it's even crazier that they're playing Rangers as their opponent. Yeah, yeah. Because then it goes twofold. Yeah, basically, the idea of having a philosophy that you, no matter how you perform and what you, the results are, you just stick to it. Yeah. That's what I just thought of when you mentioned Frankfurt. I'm like, dude, yeah, they've always... They've always selected a certain type of player. Yeah. Just like how Liverpool has a cert- certain type of player that yes. fits their mold. Yes. Frankfurt has been just that stubborn despite not <laughs> having the same results of, yeah, no, not of even any close, type of man. Not even close. So it is, in a way, dope to see a team finally get rewarded in yes, that sense. Because that, that's what I'm saying. You got players like Kostic, uh, yeah, Borre, who's fucking killing oh, it right yeah, now in the Europa Borre, League. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. got him too. It's crazy. He's like I saw. He was like he's he's only scored one goal in the Bundesliga, but he is killing it in the Europa League. Like yeah. just this Europa League killer. Yeah. This is a type of player that exists that they've kind of kept their eyes out for, and yeah. they're seeing it culminate now in a Europa League final, which is super dope. But like you're about to say, like Rangers is basically the same thing. It's but, the same but thing. In Scotland, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got the it, same type of philo- like a yes. different philosophy that they just stick to. Yeah, and that's gotten them to this point. Yeah, and so man, I, I've I've struggled a lot to figure out who I'm gonna root for. I'm my, oh, this might be one of the games. That's a tough question. Yeah, man. Man. This might be one of the games that I just watch as like a neutral. Neutral, and just, bro. Just enjoy it for what it is, because yeah. both teams have awesome fan bases. Both teams have really cool squads and yeah, philosophies. Man. Yeah, like. Man, this is gonna be a great final, and I'm truly excited to see it. You know, one of these squads lift a trophy, bro. Like it's gonna be huge God, for whichever fan no. base that that ends up doing it. Yeah, and finally, finally, the Europa League, like <laughs> this final, is why they made the Conference League. The, these two teams are supposed to be in the final, of the Conference League, basically. <laughs> but finally, the Europa League actually has two. Well, I can safely say mid-tier European You're teams. Right. Because yeah. you just – yeah. that's how you preface this. We've never gotten that. <laughs> yeah. But now we finally yeah. did the same year that there there is a Dude, conference. You're league. right. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that, that you would think that this would be the, the ultimate goal for Europa League 
year in year out. You're out. This is the ultimate. This teams. is the ultimate goal right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Europa Conference League now has Roma facing Roma. off against Feyenoord yeah. from uh, the Netherlands, and another you know awesome tournament that's happening because this is our first time around yeah. seeing this thing out, yeah. seeing what it's like. I think that before we even go into the final, I would like to know your thoughts on uh, the tournament itself. How do you feel about it? You know, about the fact that they've decided to throw in this third European tournament into the mix <laughs> to kind of just see how people react to it. I personally have really liked it, bro, because I I've been watching a lot of the games and I just see how much these people, these fans care. They care equally as much yeah, as dude. they would if they were in the Europa League or the, even the Champions League. Like yeah. these stands are still packed. That Feyenoord game that we saw, oh like the state, like the, the yeah. crowd was standing for that 90 minutes insane, straight, bro. Man. It was an insane scene. And Feyenoord would have never gotten an opportunity at that if this tournament didn't exist. I do like it from that sense, but from another sense, I'm also like, man, do we got to hand out this many trophies? You know, it's like giving, it's like giving participation medals at this point. If these teams ultimately aren't the best in their region, do they deserve a shot at silverware still? At this point, there are several top European leagues where like half of the table is qualifying for something. Yeah. And that just, it's just overkill for me. It's too much. What I do like though is yes, it gives these truly, truly, truly mid-table teams a chance at European glory, right? I mean, you just as you pointed out, these fans know that these are European games. They're on European nights, just like the Champions <sighs> League. Yeah. So it has that same aura, that same feel as a Champions League game. And it, they're just as intense because it's against equal opposition. It's not like Feyenoord's playing against Madrid or Manchester City, where the fans know they're going to get thrashed 4-0, right? Yeah. So for that reason, you get these really entertaining games where it's just back and forth, 2-2, 3-0, whatever you want. And it makes for great entertainment, which is why this league has been really fun. And, and that's the positive I'll give for it. The entertainment factor has been great. But ultimately, I just think it's too much because then you, ha you, yeah, you have a tier for the Champions League, a tier for the Europa League, yeah. a tier for the Conference League. You theoretically could have a fourth tier. Right, the tier right above the relegation zone. I was going to say, bro, imagine a tournament of teams that are in relegation. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing, it's man. It's the best of the worst. So <laughs> what I would propose, obviously it'll never happen, is you just have this tournament less frequently. So okay. maybe, by, uh, or maybe once every two years, once every three years. Um, that way, maybe it gives a little bit more weight to the league, knowing that, oh, if we finish eighth this year, then yeah, we're in the conference league. But okay. if you're on the year where the Europa, where the conference league is landing, yeah. that's going to be a really big year for you. But then again, I don't know. Nah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably going to stick to it year in, year out for, for sure. But yeah, the implications of them, just like, yeah, like at this point, yeah. are we going to add something else extra that isn't really necessary? But I've noticed the toll that it takes to participate in European competition is also like something that does have an impact on a team, man. Oh, like, and yeah, really only man. the best of the best teams can handle it like physically and quality wise. Yeah. Like at, at one point the, the, the squad gets so watered down with all these tournaments they have to participate in that lots of these clubs, I feel like don't have that capacity. And the conference league is essentially picking out the weakest teams to do that. Yeah. Cause then you That's got like true. an eighth place Premier League squad, which could, you know, end up being a team that, it could have been like Aston Villa last year yeah. who just got promoted, then have to deal with like the financial side of having to build a squad that's 
deep enough to participate in the Europa League con- in the Europa Conference League. Yeah. And that does have an impact, man. That does have an impact on like the quality that you perform at in your league, in your league cups, and then the European nights as well. So that's an interesting aspect that I've been thinking about. Just how, what's that look like ultimately? But right. Regardless, we've got a final now between Roma and Feyenoord, which at the end of the day is a pretty unique matchup as well, man. We yeah. got a Dutch side that isn't Ajax or or that's or, true. Uh, PSV. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. Roma, we spoke about them last pod where um, we would rate Mourinho's first season there and overall the squad as a positive experience. Yeah. He's in a way maxed out everything this Roma squad can do. Yeah. And he's just showing that on full display, man. He was... He was out there crying, Yeah, bro. man. Crying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, this is European silverware. Yeah. And for a team like Roma, or Feyenoord even for that matter, this is big. Yeah. It is big because Roma's not going to win Serie A with the teams that are that are up there right now. Inter, AC Milan, even Napoli, even Juve even now. It's, it's almost impossible for Roma's squad to compete, truly compete for a Serie A title. So this is this is the next best thing. So for Mourinho to get here, he he really wants oh, this yeah, trophy, yeah, as, yeah. as would any Roma fan, Roma player. Yeah, Feyenoord on the other side is probably See, it's probably yeah. not gonna, never come, never gonna be able to yeah, make a deep thing. run in a Champions League. It's the exact same but thing. But they have a shot now to do it in a in a, in a European uh, tournament. And so, man, some awesome implications here because of that. Who do you got winning this matchup? I got honestly, I have Roma winning this matchup only because. I don't know that seeing Feyenoord play against Marseille, they played obviously incredibly well yeah. in that home game. But I, honestly, I think Marseille just weren't over the course of 180 minutes that great of an opposition. Yeah, I see Roma as just a better, more complete team. And with I think honestly, I think Mourinho is actually going to have an impact. He's gonna he's gonna get into the heads of his own Roma players and be like, "Let's yeah, focus, know, boys." He knows finals. Like, he knows finals, man. It's gonna drive them. I, I think to dominate this Feyenoord side. Now, all that being said, Feyenoord still have some really good firepower. They're here for a reason. They know how to play. Uh, so I think it'll be a fun final, but I got Roma yeah, going through. Yeah. Roma, I think, is uh, is more well-equipped for a final. Yes, but yes. Feyenoord's got some, some a little bit to him, bro. The way I saw yeah, that, that whole, that true, whole stadium true. packed and the, whole, the way that those people believed in that squad, man, I was yeah. like, maybe I'm not seeing something because I haven't followed them the whole season. I haven't seen what their 2021, 2022 has looked like. I just kind of seen the last bits and pieces of this of this run. It's awesome that they're here. I'm happy for them. But I just think that Roma has too much quality. They're closer to being more of a Europa League squad than they are to a Europa Conference League squad. And so I think they'll take care of business. It's going to be fun to watch the first Europa Conference League final that we've ever experienced. Yeah, yeah, It'll yeah. be a Why good not, night, man. man. Yeah. To have, to have, to have a, a beer and just catch the game, catch yeah. a final. So the last final I want to talk about is this week with uh, Chelsea facing off against Liverpool in the FA Cup final. Liverpool going for their second title now. They've won the Carabao Cup yeah. against Chelsea. Let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about Liverpool's chances at a quadruple while also talking about this, this matchup that sees Chelsea now in a completely different place from where they were at the beginning of the season, man. When we started this podcast, what, five months ago, yeah. we were we were actually looking at a Premier League table that had Chelsea, I think, above Liverpool wow. for like a good yeah. like few weeks. Yeah. And we were talking about, man, what if Chelsea were able to pull off the impossible and beat a Man City side with the squad that they have and the way they were stringing out results? Yeah. Fast forward a few months, and they've completely declined. Yeah. They, they, that luck ran out, that that their flaws have been exposed more, yeah. more so. And, uh, and we're seeing a team that's now struggling to even be 
in third place. They might flip with Arsenal. Right. They have a chance here, though, to win a cup final after losing one already where they nearly won. Nearly. Nearly, bro. Nearly. As close as you could get without winning. Yeah. They have the opportunity against the Liverpool side that they've shown they can match up against over, not even 90, 120 minutes. And on the other hand, we have Liverpool who have been seeking glory, who at the beginning of the season were, were not picked to be the Premier League winners. We're not picked to be championship Champions winners. winners yeah. We're just coming off a bad season last year with so many injuries and COVID and whatnot. Different idea about this Liverpool squad. Fast forward, and this is already starting to... We're starting to hear arguments for possibly one of the best English sides of all time. Yeah. They've got a trophy under the belt. They've got a final waiting for them in the Champions League. And they've got a three-point gap now between them and Man City that at one point was just one point and had people dreaming of a quadruple. Do you think the quadruple is still possible? Yeah. Do you think it will ever be possible for any team? Ultimately, I think this just comes down to destiny. I think this is not this is this is not a this is not a this doesn't come down to so let's just start with the FA Cup cuz Liverpool have already won the League Cup against Chelsea, right? So now it's the same team, but as you just so perfectly put, Chelsea can match up Tuchel, when he's in a final, he gets revved up, man. So does all the Chelsea fans, all the Chelsea players. No glory and silverware is at stake. It doesn't matter how far they've turned off, especially since the turn of the new year. Doesn't matter. They're going to show up at Wembley for this final. They're going to. And so they can win this game. They they can. Maybe 1-0, 2-1. They could. They have the firepower to do it, and maybe Liverpool, as they showed against Tottenham, maybe they, they just, just just fall a little short. It can happen over the course of one game, especially if you're playing against a good opposition. So this is just going to come down to not who's the better team. This is going to come down to destiny. Yeah. That's what this month is going to come down to. Liverpool have one trophy. There's three remaining. There's a three-point gap now for the Premier League, right? Three-point gap. Uh, I think City... Overall, still have the more favorable schedule remaining. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Liverpool, it's basically out of their hands. It's destiny. Yeah. Destiny yeah. will decide if yeah. Manchester City drop points or not. Yeah. As stupid as that sounds, that's what it's going to be. It was destiny that Aguero would score that crazy goal against Queen's Damn. Park Rangers for them to win their first yeah. title of the Premier League, what, nine years ago, yeah. whenever the hell it was. You know, that was destiny. The way yeah. that it happened, when it was not meant to yeah, be yeah. any other way. Yeah. It could, it could have. There was so many other permutations that could have happened, <laughs> but of course, it <laughs> happened that one way. If Liverpool's to win the quadruple, something that has never been attained before, if it's not Liverpool, if it's any team, any team who's ever on par for the quadruple, it will be solely because of destiny. Yeah, there's too many variables for them to be like, oh, we're gonna bag these four trophies like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. almost impossible to even think that. There's just so many variables going into finals, going into a league where you have a team like Manchester City as your opponent. It's it's so hard to just guarantee it or even come close to guaranteeing yeah. it, especially yeah. when. For- <laughs> Four, uh, three out of these four trophies are finals. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. and then the other trophy is the exact opposite of that, where it's a grueling 38-game season. Yeah. The variables are ridiculously high that there's only one thing that will attain you four trophies at the end of the season, and that's purely destiny. Dude, yeah, and it's, it's ridiculous, though, because right now, as of this moment, the only thing keeping them from that, assuming they were to win their finals, would be three points. 
Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's, that's, you insane. know, if they just take care of business about against Chelsea, if they do what they need to do against, against Real Madrid, Madrid, which obviously those are big things to say, but those are one off games. Do it. Those they are one off games. I'm talking about like, you know, the league is the biggest one, I think, yeah. in the sense of like the highest difficulty to get right now. Right. And all that's between them and that is, is three points. Three points. That's ridiculous, man. God damn. It's crazy. It's uh, crazy, I don't but like that at all. It, it is it is to to an almost to an existential point. It's existential. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go through some of these questions that uh, we received through our Instagram DMs. I asked on our story to to uh, ask us anything and see what we get. And once again, our our viewers came through, man. We we got so many questions and we're not going to answer all of them, but we'll we're going to answer a few just uh just for fun to see what we can uh talk about. So Who's the most underappreciated Mexican player? Yeah, yeah, I got a good one. Uh, Who you got? My the and this one comes to my mind immediately when I hear not underrated okay. but underappreciated. Yeah, and that is Carlos El Gulit Pena. Ah, okay. The man in his prime between two thousand. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say two thousand eleven. Sure, sure. But more realistically, two thousand twelve to two thousand. 14 2015 that two to four year period Carlos Aguilera Peña was one of the best central midfielders in Mexico and for the most part wasn't really praised mm. by a lot of pun uh, fan wise sure but uh, for the most part wasn't really praised by uh the pundits the Mexican media or by even Miguel Herrera in that World Cup. And that's where that really stings for me personally because going into that World Cup, he was on fire for Leon. Offensively, man, that guy could just pick out any pass that he wanted in the MX for one of the best teams at that time with Leon. And when they needed, I, I felt like they needed a dog in that midfield because Montes ended up going out injured prior to that World mm -hmm, Cup. Mm -hmm. So. We, for in my opinion, we didn't have that really physical or offensive uh, presence in that midfield okay. going to the World Cup. Because no, he got called up, yeah, he did, he did, but ultimately didn't really yeah, play. Yeah, it was the uh, Gaito Vasquez who played. Yeah, yeah, with, which is which with, is great, which is great, great. With but, but, but Guardado, I would say, I think. for me, Pena's offensive ability, no other Mexican midfielder could really match that. Okay, and when I I felt like when Mexico really needed to go at teams, uh, they they didn't. But I felt like Benya could have really changed that. Yeah. And he was also just an incredible ball handler, especially at that time in his prime. So I think he would have helped retain the ball better, especially when Mexico would take on pressure. So, yeah, okay. for me, yeah. underappreciated, yeah. I'm going Carlos Aguilipe. Okay. No, that's fair. That's completely fair. That's a yeah. good shout. For me, the most underappreciated player on off the top of my head, yeah, no, I never hear anything about this player. One of the most consistent Mexicans of all time. And this is gonna hurt coming from a from a Chivas fan, Pavel Pardo, who played for America at right back, was our right back for 2006 for a good five years. He was the most consistent, most reliable fullback that we had, and he just set the tone for future fullbacks to almost like as a role model to represent that position. It's crazy, man. You look you look at the players that have been fullbacks for us since then. We had. Headless Chicken, Miguel Ayun, oh, yeah. part of the squad. We had uh, Paula Aguilar, who was solid for a while yeah. and emulated Pavel Pardo a lot, actually, yeah. but still didn't reach the level I think Pavel Pardo had. Pavel Pardo was so good at, like, switching yeah. up play. He's got the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Switching that ball over and just and, like breaking layers of the defense so that we could go on attack. He had this awesome highlight against, uh, I think, Chivas 
um, in one of the classicals in like 2005 where he sent a long ball from like his end of the pitch, sends it across, almost like how Van Dyke will send a deep ball to like Salah and then just start an offense off of that. He did the exact same thing, and America had their their eccentric forwards at the time that would just finish off all his passes. Yeah, he was so reliable. I think he's one of the most capped uh, Mexicans as well, mm-hmm. and just part of that era and generation of Mexican players that had a little bit of almost like a like a that mid two thousands player build was a leader, was reliable, leader. cared about his job, passionate but professional. Yeah, it wasn't about anything else beyond that. Okay, and I think yeah. that's kind of why he's underappreciated because he really it was never outspoken. Yeah, he's like one of those you know soft spoken guys that just took care of his did business his and did his job. And yeah. so Pavel Pardo for me is one of the most underappreciated Mexican players. I like that one because just in terms of like social circles, media, YouTube comments, I don't think the name Pavel Pardo <laughs> has been typed, spoken, or written in over a yeah, decade dude. probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, a big, big factor has to be his lack of involvement in like Mexican or U.S. Yeah. media posts because yeah. so many players love doing that, especially Mexicans. Love doing that yeah. after their careers are done, and he just took no part in it. Louis Anthony asks, if you could go to any past match in your lifetime, where would you go? Uh, if we're going club, I'm saying, I'm saying, I got a couple answers for that, but I would say Liverpool's comeback against, uh, come against Barcelona, 4-0. I would love to have been there. Yeah. Internationally, I would have loved to be, I would have loved to have been at the Germany-Mexico game where Chucky scored and, Ooh, and got the lead. I would love to have been there. So to throw some fun, beer into man. the crowd. You know, be part of that crowd. Would have been psychedelic. And in terms of Chivas, I would have loved to have been at the Chivas match where they beat Boca Juniors 4-0 mm-hmm. in El Estadio Jalisco. Um, but regardless of teams that I support, just a game where it would have been amazing to be at, I would say one of those Barcelona versus Real Madrid early 2000 matchups. Oh, okay. One of those. I would have loved to have been at one of those because th- those stakes felt big. The stage was epic. Yeah. And... That's probably the most bang for buck you would get in regards of stars. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. you pay a hundred, you yeah. pay hundred bucks for a ticket, but you get to see twenty-two of the best, yeah. greatest players in the world yeah. at one time. I think for me, definitively, if I could go back to the past and watch any game, I would go back to that 2014 UEFA Champions League final where Atletico lost <sighs> painstakingly, excruciatingly to Real Madrid. Why would you? Why would you? What would you want to see a loss? Yeah, I just think it. I think it would just fit my narrative. It would build character, and it would. It would be something. Something that I'd truly never forget. Yeah, like I would have low key trauma. I, it'd be traumatic. It'd yeah. be yeah. I'd have PTSD every <laughs> every time I see any any guy named Ramos jump. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ah, yeah, ah. But I would. I would have loved to have been there. Best soccer match you watched live that kept you on your toes? Mm. For me, it's a pretty easy pick. Um, maybe it didn't keep me on my toes, but the stardom at display and how how rare of an occasion it was is what kept me on my toes. It was the 2017 Barcelona faced off against Real Madrid in the Estadio Bernabeu. Yeah. And we went with our friend Daniel. Yeah. We pulled Shout up, out. bro. The give and go pulled up, and we saw what was, I believe, the last matchup between Messi and Ronaldo in the league. In the Bernabeu. In the Bernabeu. Yeah, that yeah, was a hell of a match. But you're right. Like, seeing that game, especially, you know, years, you, truly years ago now, yeah. but knowing that we were going to see Messi and Ronaldo, it really was almost like, like, it felt like we were kids. Like, Dude, just like, yeah. We were just so, like, in shock yeah. of seeing these guys that we've idolized for so long 
but actually going to Europe and watching them play live. Yeah. That, that truly was special. Yeah, I remember one of my biggest takeaways from watching that, that game is I was looking at Ronaldo's movements when he was just, you know, not on the ball, just yeah. like walking and running around. I was like, dude, he's so robotic in how he plays. The way he runs, is, it's like kind of stiff, but he's like, it's it's all form. It's all about it's function. efficiency. Yeah, function over form. Yeah, he's just straight like, like every <laughs> movement is yeah. so calculated. I was like, this is so interesting to, to to watch. Yeah, and that was the iconic game where Barcelona ended up defeating Real Madrid three zero. And there's that that famous photo of Messi holding up his hands like this yeah. to the crowd. That was on the opposite side of us. Regardless of the fact that I was rooting for Real Madrid that game, it was still an awesome thing to see. Just you know, these these just to see all these legends on the same pitch and yeah. and put on what was an awesome game at the end of the day. Yeah, it was dope. I have one that I vividly remember, and it kept me on my toes, not because the game was close, but because it was such it was such a blowout. But purely because there was so much class on the pitch. Oh, shit. and it was the Copa America Centenario semifinal. Argentina against the U.S. Oh, game was in Houston at the NRG Stadium, yeah. and uh, at that time it was the first time that I had seen Messi play live, and it was honestly surreal because it was Messi in America playing in yeah. a com- a highly competitive match. Because usually when he's here, it's it's July yeah. and it's like you know he's just chilling like. Maybe not even playing because yeah. they're here for like uh, off season tour, right? But this was like high stakes. Argentines were in Houston, and obviously the U.S. themselves, big fan base, coming all together in one stadium to see out to see the semifinal play out. And Argentina ended up winning the game, I think four zero four one. But it was, Messi went off, scored a beautiful free kick, top bins, top bins. Saw that shit live, so. That one's that one's stuck in my head. That's a really good one. It's bro. a good. That's it was it. A, it was such a <laughs> such a really cool moment to witness. Yeah, what a rare uh, matchup, and also like yes, that too. Yeah, setting that too. and setting, stage bro, and everything. Everything, everything about that game was just so different than what you know we're, we're used to. Fucking talk about Arsenal. You've neglected them for too long, says Walter Davis. One. I'm not talking about <laughs> Arsenal, bro. I'm not. It is pretty crazy though that they've had such a successful season the way that they've done it. I think so. Yeah. It's actually impressive. Starting at the beginning of the season, there was so much uh, kind of uneasiness of, is Arteta the right guy? And that was a big, big part of that, that group of people that was saying no. Yeah. And the thing is there, there was, there was some right things about that critique, but there was also some wrong things because he had shown that, you know, maybe he just needs a couple of players that fit his style yeah. and it could work, right? For example, when they were able to get Odegaard like in the middle of last season and then they were able to keep him this season, that was big because Odegaard came in, had a good impact. Not that he scored or assisted a lot of goals, but you could see that he enjoyed playing on an Arteta. Yeah. And you could see that freedom. And then that ended up being accentuated by players like Bukayo Saka, Emma Smith-Rowe, that type of freedom play. You just play really good offensive football. And so you could kind of see that Arteta had the right idea, but could that culminate into the right results? Yeah, yeah. So that's ultimately, I think, what the Arsenal board was going to see at the end of the season. But my God, like, they're what? They're in a Champions League spot. They're in a Champions League spot now. Yeah. No, and it's, yeah, I, I do got to give credit to Arteta for what he's managed to do at this point because 
Yeah, we we he had a pretty big offseason in terms of purchases. He went he shopping, man. No, he went, went shopping, shopping, man. He went got shopping. himself what basically whatever he wanted at any position, he got it. Yeah, and so I think that's why that pressure also just builds up because they did spend a lot. What's funny is it started off really bad with them losing against Brentford. Yes, I remember <laughs> and that. like you know th- those early games can define so much about the tone set yes, around a team, bro. and it's not until now that people are finally this finally starting to switch back and be like, okay, Arsenal is actually very formidable and i was thinking about it too like when you think about teams outside the top three because i feel like man city liverpool and chelsea are not just in another tier that these other squads in the premier league are not at but i feel like in terms of projects like they're much deeper into their projects as these other teams and so i was thinking which of those teams that's outside the top three has a better project right now is it arsenal manchester united tottenham and then you can throw in like you West, throw Ham in West Ham or, or Leicester. Leicester, but project wise, like for what's being built for the future, it's for to me it's clear it's that it's clearly Arsenal. Bro. Arsenal, when you it's put it clearly, like that, bro, it's clearly and, and not just in how they're playing right now, but the fact that so many of their players are so young. Yeah. That I think actually like their average squad is young enough to play in the U23 Premier League. That, that, <laughs> like they could actually like play that their starting squad yeah. in that league. So it is pretty crazy what yeah. they managed to do, and it's impressive. Yeah. I'm I bet that's looking much better this, oh, like, towards yeah. the end of the season than he was at the beginning. Oh, yeah. If you could bring back a past player to play for this current Mexico team, who would it be? That's kind of fun because it's like, all right, who, of all the past players, who could just have the biggest impact? Yeah, just straight off the bat, come oh. in, and you're, like, excited to see him play. Yeah, Conejo Perez, bro. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, what? <laughs> <El> conejito. <coughs> I'm not going to say a striker because I think we have enough quality up top. We need someone that can feed them from the midfield. We need a we need a killer midfielder. I'd be I'd bring back 2010-2011 Giovanni Dos Santos. Shit. <laughs> Specifically. Shit, okay. I want a young, doesn't know what the sport is yet, Gio. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, long hair too. Like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking lines and just breaking lines. In, yeah. No fear, and it's just playing for the love of the game. For me, it's two players, legends. Because at the end, damn, just gonna pick the best of the best. Would love to bring in Prime Rafa Marquez. The yeah, security that the, would the, give us the, the security, the leadership, leadership is the composure. Immense. It's, it's immense. Him yeah, or that, for for one. functionality in terms of like you bring this guy in. And he might be the one piece that we need beyond a defender. Give me prime attacking midfielder Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Okay. Who was able to get by players, be physical, yeah. and feed people and score goals himself, be a leader just like Rafa Marquez was. Give me him, and maybe this team can just suddenly mold together, man. Yeah. I wish this was like a real thing, though. <laughs> damn, that'd damn, be so like, nice. God damn. I mean, imagine if just every coach was able to bring one pass player. Yeah. Into the squad going into a World Cup. It's like, Any it's like playing a video game yeah. at that point, man. Jeez. New Mex Raver ask, who was the best goalkeeper of all time? But I would reshape this as who's the best goalkeeper that you've ever seen. My brain immediately goes to Gigi Buffon. That's where my brain goes to. The amount of big games that he's been in, the amount of titles that he's won. And not only that, in those big games, Buffon has made some incredible stops, like yeah. incredible. He's an incredible shot stopper. He was never known for uh, playing from the uh, back, yeah, but, but he was from a he was from that, a time where they didn't need yeah, to. That's, that's, so uh, that's not something that's I'm like gonna, irrelevant. I would, I, say. I would say that that's an irrelevant point. So 
you take that out, I I, I would I probably would say Buffon. Fuck man, this yeah? is tough. I think Buffon for his longevity too. That's like you man. really gotta give it, give because him, even when he was like forty, bro, he was still really really good. Like yeah. he didn't deteriorate like a lot of other players. Yeah, Serie A, Champions League, World Cup, PSG. PS, yeah. yeah, but World Cup too, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. he is one of the biggest trophies, he, yeah. and he's been a big part of those yeah. trophies. It's not like he was just in the backseat of, of winning it with right. him. I would say that Gigi Buffon is probably the safest pick for this question. I think it's the safest one, it's but very I, safe. I, I think there is genuine merit. I, I yeah. can't, I yeah. can't, I mean, obviously, well, yeah. there's, there's some top, top goalkeepers out there. There have been top, top goalkeepers, but yeah. the best one, man, the best one. You don't, you don't think Manuel Neuer is in that conversation? I think he's in the conversation, man. I think he's in the conversation yeah, with, yeah, with uh, how he revolutionized a keeper's... Sweeper keeper. Yeah, <laughs> sweeper keeper, bro. But not just that. Like, actual shot stopping He's a good shot stopper. He's fucking he's, he's really good. He's incredible. really good. Incredible. Won the trophies as he's well. He's won the same trophy. I think likely. he deserves a shout. I think he's in that upper echelon with Gigi Buffon. They eat at the same table. They eat at the same table. But there's also other goalkeepers where I'm like, man, their peaks were really, really good. Maybe they weren't as good for as long, but Geronimo Rulli. <laughs> <laughs> Dude was ass in that series, bro. It's so bad. I would say that Kaylor Navas deserves a shout. Oh, I was gonna say you that know? too. In terms of heights, bro. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The guy, not carried, but was an integral part of the Costa Rican squad yeah. that was so popular and rightly so in 2014, and I mean you can just list off the numerous accolades he's won at club level, man. Yeah. But you think about how he came to those accolades, it's because he was good. Not only good, but elite. So good that he, you know, which you got to take into account, like from where he's from, yes. you got to be extra good you have to, to be really extra good. put yourself on the radar too. Th that's the thing. Goalkeeper at Levante, as a, from, uh, the scout from Madrid was like, Look, the next best <laughs> keeper I can find is this guy from Levante. Yeah, this Costa Rican, <laughs> Keylor Navas. We got to buy Can him. you imagine how much convincing that must yeah, have been on the board, man? That's what I'm saying. And, and then for Keylor to show up in that that cold atmosphere yeah, out there where yeah, everyone's yeah. European. Yeah, who? Yeah. And just take over that starting position. And take position over, bro. Off of one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time, Iker Casillas. That's true. Who also deserves a shout. Coming off the back of him leaving Real Madrid. Who follows him up? Is it some yeah. keeper that's yeah, at yeah. Chelsea who's moving his way over here? Yeah. Some some keeper from some other big team? Yeah, it's or, fucking yeah, Keylor prodigy, Navis, bro. It, yeah, exactly. Navas, man, who just takes over the spot and holds his ground there for what was Real Madrid's most victorious yeah. period of three straight Champions League trophies. Yeah, man. like yeah. come on, absolutely. Deserves, at the very least, he deserves respect, man. That uh, that yeah. is no absolutely. Incredible. And uh, yeah, and just for the future, like if we ask this question the next five years. Ooh. I feel like at that point, you could probably say Alisson or Ederson. Dude, I think Alisson is, is such a different type of goalkeeper. I, I don't think I've seen a more calm goalkeeper. And I noticed yeah, that because, I like that. man, every time I watch, I'm like, for a good while, I was like, Alisson's good, but I've never like see him like pull off like a spectacular save. I said this for like the first season he was at Liverpool. Yeah. He did have some amazing saves, but not as many as like, other top goalkeepers and I was like well why yeah and then I started to realize this dude's positioning is fucking god tier yeah god the tier. way he anticipates where a shot's gonna go or how he positions his feet and his body to prepare himself for a shot of where it might be and just like having such a good percentage of guessing yeah I'm like dude this isn't this guy's incredible yeah. his build is really good strong as well can play from the back 
And they said growing up he was a midfielder in Brazil. So he's got that skill. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think with the 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 aura that he he gives out as a goalkeeper is truly special, man. And uh, yeah. if he just keeps going, where where like you know winning trophies with Liverpool and stuff, he's gonna have a, a big argument as well. Oh yeah. What are your thoughts on people calling football soccer? My perception on this is purely semantic. So it doesn't matter what you call it because at the end of the day, we all speak different languages in general. Italians call it calcio. Germans call it foosball. <laughs> English people call it football. Yeah. Americans and Australians call it soccer. Spaniards call it football. If you're Portuguese, you call it fuchiball. Yeah. There's no one way to say it. It doesn't matter where you're from. You're going to say it a different way. So purely, purely from a phonetic, semantic point of view, it does not matter what you call it because no two cultures will call it the same thing. That's yeah. as simple as it gets. So if, if you have a problem with what the sport is called, then you don't get the beauty of the sport. You don't <laughs> yeah, get it. You're worried about way, way lesser yeah. things, man. If you're worried about that, if you're worried bro. about that, you don't understand how beautiful it is that a Costa Rican can play in Madrid and be one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. You don't get how a mid country in Africa can make a big run in Africa cup of nations. You don't, you don't understand the beauty of like how Peruvian sees the game. Yeah. You don't get it. If you're all you're caught up in is what you call the game. Cause you, at that point you don't respect the international aspect of the that's game. What, yeah. That's what I was going to point out. What, what, what is beautiful about soccer beyond even the game is just the, the worldview that it provides to you. Oh. Like th in sports in general, what I love about them is that they can give you perspective, man. Perspective. You learn so much as a kid watching these games, watching the players that participate in all these matches and being like, yo, that's dope that a Costa Rican yes. is starting at goalkeeper for one of the, might maybe the biggest club in, in, in the sport of football. Yeah. And it's so dope to know. Like that's part of the experience of, of watching and learning about sports. So, I, I kind of get that you're coming from like an educational level of almost just like, yeah. you know, to be so critical of the way people in certain areas of the world call the sport kind of goes against the sport itself. It, go, co it goes yeah. completely against it. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the surface, because we do got to acknowledge the surface out of this, is that people associate the word soccer with American because that is the American oh, word for Oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And thus they associate American with lack of knowing Soccer, no. so soccer or football exactly. or anything. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where the elitism comes in and yeah. just this idea. And it just like, ruins you know, it. Yeah, it just ruins yeah, it. It ruins, ruins the whole it, party, right. man. But we, we say both. And like, we say both, and I'll I understand you both. the whole time. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that, that's a great topic, man. But hopefully one day that stigma can be, can be taken down. Yeah. Cause like, if you really think about it, there's no argument for that other side. Like you can only, you can only go against without being it. an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. There, there, there is no argument to be like, Oh, you can't call it talk. There's no argument. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's stupid to entertain. And yeah, I, I, I hate it. Yeah. Appreciate you guys listening once again, watching us on all our social media sites, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify, make sure to comment, like, and subscribe, uh, follow us on Spotify, stay up to date. And thank you guys for your questions. Thanks for everything you guys send in. Uh, I wish we could have gotten into all of it, but man, we'd be talking for five hours if yeah. we if we answer all these questions. So, mm -hmm. 
Once again, guys, this is the give and go. We'll be back soon. We'll be back soon with the proper setup next time. Big shout out to our guy, producer Rudd, producer for all Rudd. that he does. So. Miss that guy. <laughs> Miss that guy, bro. But uh, that'll do. We got big finals coming up, and uh, we'll, we'll check back with analysis and takes from, from oh, those yeah. matches as well. So stay safe, guys. We'll catch y'all soon. Peace.